So Jews, on the, on the one hand, ha the, Jews will enjoy the privileges of whiteness. So right. Ashkenazi Jews will enjoy the privileges of whiteness, and at the same time, are being targeted with violence by those people who are the most invested in some quote-unquote white identity. How do you all both handle that personally? This is one of the, the most interesting things to me about teaching at Fisk for so long, was that I think it's very rare for white people, Jewish, non-Jewish white people in America, to be in a room where they're the only one in the room. Whiteness is not an identity that I embrace. I recognize that I benefit from privileges, right? right, right. That being categorized as white confers on me, right? right? So I own that. Right. Um, but in terms of the identity that's important to me, it's, it's the Jewish identity. And the notion of whiteness erases that. Welcome to another episode of the Slice of the Community. I'm your host, Jerome Moore. Today, I'm with Dr. Meyer and Dr. Kendall from Vanderbilt University, who are both uh, professors in the Jewish Studies Department at Vanderbilt University uh, for our discussion here around black and Jewish relations. Thank you all for being here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I just want to preface it this way. Uh, me and Dr. Kendall, we had an uh, amazing sidebar conversation at the uh, United States and the Holocaust, which is kind of like the catalyst to this conversation. And okay. with our conversation, it just opened up the whole nother world for me around just black and Jewish relations. What does that mean? What does it look like? The history, the controversy, the allyship. Um, so I, hopefully we can just dive into that and uh, go straight into it. So I'll start with you, Dr. Meyer. Racism and anti-Semitism. Um, how would you describe both of those being separate and, and similar? I think in many ways they're very similar. The impulse for someone who is an anti-Semite or a racist is the same impulse. Mm. To denigrate the other, to promote yourself by putting somebody else down. That general impulse, I think, is the same in all kinds of, of uh, anti-whatever right. movements. It's obviously in America that the degree has been different. Um, the way in which African Americans have been mistreated in America is greater than the degree to which Jews have been mistreated in America. But the impetus behind that mistreatment, I would say, is the same. Okay, Dr. Kim. Um, well, when, when anti-Semites are attacking Jewish people or Jewish buildings, they're not stopping us first to ask whether we observe the kosher laws and don't eat pork, or we observe the Sabbath. You know, it's not based on religious grounds. They're targeting us because they see us as Jews, whether mm -hmm. we identify as Jews, or not, and in that sense, it's, it's something that they're ascribing. If you go outside of the states and you think about the different ways that Jews have been othered, persecuted, oppressed, there have been contexts in which Jews have been persecuted on religious grounds. They were the wrong religion. Uh, there have been times and places where they've been persecuted on racial grounds and actually defined as a separate race and murdered because of that. And obviously, right. the, the Holocaust is the, is the, uh, is the classic example. Um, of that, but if we think about anti-Semitism and prejudice, there are ways in which, anti-Semitism and racism, there are ways in which, in which anti-Semitism is a form of racism. Right. There are ways in which it's different from it as well. And if you think about the ways, even that the Jewish community will talk about anti-Semitism, the Anti-Defamation League, for example, right. uh, will talk about the number of anti-Semitic incidents. Right. We talk about anti-Semitism in terms of something that you can count incident by incident, we generally don't talk about racism 
in the states in terms of incidents. We talked right. about it as systemic and right. structural. And I think that we could pull back and we can talk about systemic structural dimensions to anti-Semitism historically and globally too, right. even though in the states we usually don't. Right. And I wonder if we usually don't because it's hard for, for me to say, you all are Jewish, right? It's easy for someone to look at me and say, you're black, right? So when someone goes out their way to participate in being the anti-Semitism, they, 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 they have to do some digging, they have to identify, if you definitely know like, okay, that person is Jewish, we're on the surface of a person of color, being of African-American, I was like, okay, I can just be just racist because I can, I can definitely tell. I wonder how does that play into the experience, and I'll start with you, Dr. Yeah. You know. um, well, Dr. Meyer can, can speak to, um, to some of this better than I can about white passing um, and the like. There are Look, there are ways in which Eastern European Ashkenazi Jews are thought to have stereotypic Jewish looks. And, um, and it's interesting when you think about what the Nazis did. They, they thought that they could spot Jews very clearly, and yet they had to come up with a whole cat way of categorizing where if one grandparent is Jewish, why? Because they still they couldn't tell. Right. So Jewishness is not a race. And yet it often gets talked about in terms of it distinctive does. Jewish looks or behavior. I'm speaking with my hands right now. That's right. considered sometimes distinctive Jewish behavior. Mm -hmm. you know, so these things, they, they blend. But Jews have the ability um, to, well, we should talk about white passing. It gets yeah. into really, really complex questions about Jews and whiteness. And I think that, yeah. that can actually open, open yeah. us up to that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. My experience um, with my students at Fisk was that there was no distinction made between white people and Jews. Right. I had been at Fisk for probably 10 years before I first taught a course in black Jewish relations. And students, several of whom I had already had in classes, were very surprised to learn that I was Jewish. And um, at that point in time, I'm talking in the 1990s, early 2000s, that distinction between Jews and other white people had kind of disappeared. Whereas in earlier time periods within the African community, there was a distinction made. I, I was telling Professor Kellner, the fact that there's a separate slang term, Goldberg, for Jews mm -hmm. than there is for white people, Ophays or whatever, right. indicates that there's some difference, that right. African Americans see some difference. Now, whether that's a positive or negative, right. but they do see, did see, see Jews as different than other white people. But I don't know that that's the case anymore. I think most people looking at, at Ashkenazic white Jews see them as white people. I never thought that um, even the term like white Jews could, could be kind of mm, cringing. Like, do I want to be associated with whiteness, you know, um, because of the history of just elite whites and what happened um, and kind of the, the persecution they put on Jews here, even in the United States, right? Um, up in the East, New York and all those areas. And so it always, that just fascinated me. Like, wow, you know, even though when I look at the census, like 92% of Jews, you know, classify themselves as white. You know, and okay, how does that balance then? When you walk into a room as a Jew, but you're white, everybody else is seeing you as, as probably white, right? But in your heart and your mind, it's like, no, I'm not. But it goes to that, that point too, well, is, is, is being a Jew a race? You know, it, it makes it complex for someone looking out outside in, but then to hear you say, well, it's definitely not a race. There are Jews in all races. Yeah. There, there are Jews in India, mm -hmm. look like people in India. There are Jews right. in China, look like people in China. There are Jews in Africa. So right. if you break race categories the way I learned as a kid into those three categories, Jews are in all three. Right. So it's, yeah, it doesn't work. So I, I want to I get Dr. Meyer's opinion on this. Um, classifying it as white Jew, because we know there's black Jews, you know, 
how does that how does that make you feel? How does that how does that initially hit you when I say, yeah, you know, if I said black and white Jewish relations? Um, I guess that's mostly what I deal with is is in my courses is is those are those interactions. I think um, again in America most Jews are Ashkenazic Jews who mm -hmm. are white. Sometimes part of the problem between the two communities is that some people will take advantage of that, mm. will use their whiteness as a way of promoting themselves, as a way of integrating themselves into whatever community they want to be in by removing themselves and denigrating themselves from some other community. Right. I, I find that problematic. Jewishness is categorized as whiteness okay. here in the States at this present, at this present moment. Right. Um, and it, in different places and different times, it's been categorized differently. So if I look at the ship arrival records from my immigrant ancestors who came over under uh, race and people, it says Hebrew mm -hmm. there. And this is, a US, this is, the, this is in English in a, in a document that the US government is using. It's 100 and some odd years old. Right. Now, at the same time, Jews in the South were drinking from fountains that were labeled as white. So, and so they were categorized by the government for those purposes as White. So the Jews' relationship to mm. whiteness is, um, it, it's, uh, there's ambivalence, but it's not a totally fixed category. Right. And when you think about, you think about the massacre um, at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, and this is by an avowed white nationalist, white supremacist, mm -hmm. who targeted Jews and did not see them as white. Mm. So Jews, on the, on the one hand, Jews will enjoy the privileges of whiteness, so Ashkenazi right. Jews will enjoy the privileges of whiteness, and at the same time are being targeted with violence by those people who are the most invested in some quote-unquote white identity. How do you all deal with that in everyday life, walking into that, walking into those rooms? Um, and what are some of those things that you possibly may feel or don't feel? Um, or what maybe are some of those advantages you have or don't have? This was one of the, the most interesting things to me about teaching at Fisk for so long was that I think it's very rare for white people, Jewish, non-Jewish, white people in America, to be in a room where they're the only one in the room. Mm. And I was in that situation every day for years. And it, it affects, I, I come to see how a black person would feel being the only one in a room, being the only white person in the room. Whether it's white, Jewish or not, it, it, I don't think, again, that that distinction carries, makes that much difference. Right. Um, I'm not a religious person. Um, I consider being Jewish more like an ethnicity. Okay. Um, uh, but I think that I, I, I certainly am not trying to deny it or anything like that, mm -hmm. but I'm not outwardly right. telling people, hey, I'm a Jew. Right. Have you seen any change in people's behaviors towards you once they found, find out that you're a Jew? I don't Have you think ever experienced so. that? Okay. I don't think so. Dr. Kendall? Whiteness is not an identity that I embrace. I recognize that I benefit from privileges, right? right, right. That being categorized as white confers on me, right? right? So I own that. Right. Um, but in terms of the identity that's important to me, it's it's the Jewish identity, and the notion of whiteness erases that. Mm. Um, and if you think about Jewishness as a as a form of white passing, um, it it, it the, the whiteness is something that that renders the Jewishness. Invisible. It's part of the assimilation of Jews right. into the states. But this is a culture that is important to me to maintain. Um, and part of having it maintained is not just me identifying with it, but having it recognized by others right. as this is a this is a distinct 
culture. Right. So it's, a, it's an awkward and an ambivalent position. And also it's problematic because I do not want to affirm, I don't believe, and I really think it's dangerous also, to say that Jewishness is a race. It's in the blood. It's in the biology. Right. And I have a lot of problems with the DNA testing where people will say, mm. oh, I'm 93% Ashkenazi Jewish. It's, it's, you know, we, we, after the Holocaust, we managed to expunge a racial discourse about Jews mm. from American talking about right. Jews. That's come back in the yeah. conversation. And it's dangerous and it's problematic. So right. how, do you, how, how do I, right, as someone who I'm categorized as white, I enjoy the privileges of whiteness, yeah. I am Jewish, I identify with the Jewishness, I don't want to preserve this, how do I, in the States, manage to um, maintain and project an identity right. that says, I am, uh, that, that I, 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 want, I want another category. Right. I want another category and I don't, uh, and, and the, a, a duality mm -hmm. is, is, is problematic. Is that, is that a conversation within the Jewish community? Like how do you, how do you do that? How does it happen? When I go to fill out uh, whether it's a job application, right? I don't see Jewish on there. See, you know, African-American, Caucasian, Hispanic, Latinx, and then the other maybe. Right. But so are you, are you writing in Jewish or are you checking white Caucasian? The last census for the race question, I checked white. Okay. For the country of origin question, I wrote Jews. Mm. My, my uh, mother's parents are both from Romania. It means absolutely nothing to me to be Romanian. Right. Because they weren't really Romanian in Romania, they were Jews. Right. So, I, yeah, I, whether, the, whether the government accepted that as a, a legitimate <laughs> right. answer or not, I don't know, but that's what I wrote. I want to go into the, um, the history a little bit. Um, which you all are more experts than me on uh, in general, but I want to go into the history between just black and Jewish relations, and I want to start with the allyship, right? Um, and then kind of work our way to how do we get to the tension, the adversarial things that we kind of see present day. Um, we know that there was coalition building around the civil rights, around the anti-Nazi movement. Um, can you all speak to that a little bit and paint that picture for us on how those relations really look during those times, even though that we know um, Germany was looking at the Jim Crow, um, looking at the one drop of blood rule and then putting together their whole, you know, grandmother, grandfather, their whole listing of what classes by a person as Jewish in Germany. Can you break that down? So the history of allyship goes back actually before the war in some degrees. Okay. Uh, Jews, for example, were co-founders of the NAACP. Right. Um, Jews had been working uh, with African-American, for African-American causes before the war. But I think the war really kind of brought home to both groups the way in which the extent to which anti-Semitism, racism, the extent to which it can uh, proceed. And so I think African-Americans and Jewish-Americans both were brought sort of to understand the need to work together to prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. And so from the mid-50s or so on, we have what is generally seen to be this grand alliance between the black community and the Jewish community, where you have so many Jewish students, for example, during the Mississippi summer, Freedom mm -hmm. Summer. You have so many Jews uh, marching at, the, at Selma, uh, Rabbi Heschel most notably, but lots of Jews. Um, Jews working on Supreme Court cases, on Brown v. Board, for example. So there was a, a great deal of allyship uh, generally seen as being a kind of because of mutual self-interest, that okay. the two groups were both fighting for the same things and so they could help each other out. Right. By the late 60s, it seems as though they're not fighting for the same things anymore. And so they start turning against each other. 
Um, the affirmative action cases in the early 70s is one of the big breaks. The Six-Day War in Israel, oddly enough, created a big break um, within the two communities. And so from that point on, from the late 60s on, it was seen to be this kind of dissolving relationship. And so do you think that assimilation of whiteness played a part into that? I think so. I think so. Um, James Baldwin has a famous essay called Negroes are anti-white, anti-Semitic, excuse me, because they are anti-white. Mm. And his argument is that when we criticize black uh, Jewish people, it's because they're acting white. Mm. And that we expected something. This is one of the great causes of tension between the two communities. Baldwin says we expected something different from Jews than we expected from white people. Right. And so when we didn't get it, it created bitterness and animosity and anger right. that express, it comes out as anti-Semitism. Right. Because we expected, and, and the same thing is true in reverse. We expected these people had been in a similar situation, they would have empathy, we could right. work together. And when that doesn't happen, then it creates more animosity than it would be if you weren't expecting anything in the first right. place. The social constructs around that, right? How, how does that play just the United States and the race um, and understanding that, yeah, you're Jewish, I'm black, however, Again, the system sees you as white and me black, therefore you're gonna get certain economic privileges, social privileges, political privileges that I don't, that I don't see. Even though, yeah, we, we, we supposed to be in this fight together, but however, you know, this social contract is, is uplifting you a little bit and keeping me here. Yeah, and the two communities have expectations mm. of each other. Both have self-understandings that right. look back to histories of oppression, look back to histories of slavery. Right. I mean, the key difference, though, is that for the black community, that history is here in this country. Right. And for Jews, it's much longer you know, before, but it's somewhere else. Right. And so even though there is this point of connection, the, there, is a, there is a key difference. And in some ways, it is, it's, been, it, it's the inability of the two communities to recognize the difference within the similarity right. that causes the that causes the splits because right. we imagine more similarity right. than there is, and then when we <laughs> discover that there's not, then there, then there's disappointment. Right. Right. right, right, and so like being honest about that with each other is, is I think is part of the is part of the key the, is one of the keys to managing mm -hmm. that and and building a healthy alliance. Right. Paul Berman has an interesting essay called The Other and the Almost the Same. And he argues <laughs> that when, when two groups are completely other, right. they can get along because they're not fighting, they're not conflicting about anything. Right. But when two groups are very close together, the differences become magnified yeah. between the two. So the other, it's more difficult to get along with the almost the same right. than it is with the complete other. We talk about these expectations. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think this is important because even if you just go online right now, you type in, you know, black Jewish relations, conflicts or whatever, a lot of times in my own personal experience, it's always either um, black people talking about it um, or black people talking about it, really. <laughs> like, I, I, I rarely see a Jewish people as a community, unless they're scholars maybe, but I, I rarely see Jewish um, people calling that out in, a, in an adversarial way or blaming um, that I see from the black American community from my perspective. I wonder how much we're all locked in our own media bubbles. Mm -hmm. um, and you're seeing stuff that's going on. You're, you're seeing a black conversation. Yeah. I'm seeing a Jewish conversation, oh. right? And I don't know if it's never the twain shall meet, <laughs> right. but where, um, how, do we, how do we break out of right. our own echo chambers right. to see 
what are the conversations that right. other communities are having? So this type of conversation is great. Yeah, yeah. You can do that. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, so what are some of those conversations, I guess, that are happening that y'all are part of or that you all see? So I think in the Jewish community, there is, there is a lamenting, uh, there, there's a nostalgia for, mm -hmm. I think, what's imagined to be a golden day of a black Jewish alliance. Okay. And a lamenting for its, for its passing. Okay. Um, I think that's a common trope in right. Jewish conversations about black Jewish relations. Um, and senses on the, on the Jewish side in terms of expectations, um, uh, a, a sense of upset when there are when, when Jews experience anti-Semitism from the black community, mm -hmm. a sense of upset. Okay. We would expect it from those with white privilege. <laughs> right. Right. But blacks know what it's like to be discriminated against. Why? Right. Why would there be prejudice in the black community? So it's, it's right. the, 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 that sense of expectation and and lament. And I will I will say probably um, less introspection as to you know, how. A sense, more of a sensitivity to having been wronged than to having wronged. Right. Right. And that's where the, the actual dialogue is beneficial because, right. oh, well, these things go in both directions. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. They go yeah. both ways. That's, that's the point I was going to make. That what you say about the Jewish community is reflected also in the black community, if I could speak for them. The, the sense that, um, you know, that from the Jewish perspective, we, there's a, a sense in certain circles that we did all these things for the black community and then they've turned against us. Mm, and I think there, okay. to some degree there's the same thing in the black community. Right. You guys were with us you know, when, when we were helping each other, right. but now when something comes up that's going to help us that might hurt you a little bit, right. then you turn against us. Right. And I think from the black community's perspective, we, we see our duties, especially during the civil rights, is propelling all minorities. Right, we we've done something that had an attitude. If it wasn't for the leap that we took, that we took, where would other minorities be? What would what would they have? And then we see like, well, all these other minorities get this white privilege that we don't that we don't don't get at all. And it, and you know, so where's our support from 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 that angle? And I think that's what also brings tension in. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I want to go to these stereotypes and generalizations that that I know I was brought up on on the Jewish community, as far as like wealth. Mm -hmm. media controlling, um, even the NAACP, right? I've heard that being used as like, well, the Jews control the blacks because they funded the NAACP. Right. Even that is contentious within the black community um, for whatever reason. But that's, that's, that's the lens that I was even brought up under um, when we're talking about the Jewish community, right? Um, and I guess that's, you know, anti-Semitism that I was hearing, right? Um, but as I had told Dr. Kendall at the, on our side conversation, if, for example, if um, Kanye West, yay, was to say, you know, white man control media, everybody, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's accurate. You know, a white man control Hollywood. Oh, okay, it's accurate. But when you put on the Jewish title onto it, it changes the conversation. Yeah. Um, what are y'all thoughts on that? Some of it is the question of what you mean by controlling. True. Right. Right. Do Jews disproportionately own major Hollywood studios and major record companies, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. Right. But does that mean that they have complete control? Mm -hmm. I would argue not. Um, there's a history of Jews having difficulty getting representation on television, particularly, uh, even up through like Seinfeld. You had a mm -hmm. hard time getting that show on TV because the, the, network said, well, people in Iowa aren't going to get it. It's too New York, right? right? 
Um, New York is code for Jewish. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah New yeah. York is code New York, for Jewish. That's why I went like this. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know um, that. Yeah. And obviously it was a big hit. So you, if the Jews control the media, why does this Jew have a problem getting a show on TV? Right. Right. So it, it, I, I have a problem with the word control. Okay. What, what, go ahead. Yeah. We, let's, let, we, we should go back, back, back yeah. deeper in time because these, these things that, these are tropes that are prevalent now. Right. These are things that you heard growing up. These are mm -hmm. things that I heard growing up as these are anti-Semitic stereotypes. You'll know them when you hear them. Um, but they have a history. They didn't start when we were kids. They right. started a long time ago. They didn't start in the States. Um, you know, and these, so if we, and this is where I had said earlier, we don't talk about anti-Semitism in systemic structural terms. Yeah. But if you go historically, you could. And you can think about how for, you know, the past 1,500 years or so, the Western, the Western world's basically divided between two religious civilizational empires. You have Christendom and you have Islam. Right. And in both cases, Jews are a minority in both of these, in both of these um, halves of the world. Uh, and in both instances, the dominant religious group decided that they had the right to decide what privileges Jews should or shouldn't have. Okay. And not rights, just, just privileges. Um, so among the, yeah, now, modern period where Jews in, in the states and in other places have succeeded economically, politically, and the like, if you, this notion of how, how can this group that has been historically oppressed, historically marginalized, historically did not have the right to say, these are our rights, right. only could ask for privileges, right. how is it that this group right. has succeeded? And so a whole host of conspiracy theories sprung up around it. Um, Jewish control, mm -hmm. at the heart of it is this notion that whatever type of success Jews have had, be it mm -hmm. political, be it economic, uh, it is ill-gotten. It's mm. nefarious. They don't deserve it. Right. So it's not just Jewish wealth. It's Jewish greed. Mm. Right? It's not just Jewish empowerment. Right. It's, it's Jewish conspiracy. Right. And so these tropes, or the classic tropes and the most popular most successful conspiracy theory right. in, in the world and published so many times has been the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. Right. You know, it's a, it, the cover of these, some of these publications have drawings of Jews as octopus or spiders yeah. with tentacles or weaving webs. It's a hoax. Right. It purports to be a story of a Jewish conspiracy. Not too different from the, the tropes and the propaganda that was done to blacks here in the United States. So. Um, and these, but these tropes die hard. Right. I, I, I want to say in the entertainment before we move on, right quick. I just want you all's personal opinion on this. Um, Anti-blackness, right? Um, some would say hip hop in itself is, is, is at the current moment, modern moment, is very anti-black. Um, but if you look at who is putting this, just controlling this music, right? Control. A lot of people will point to the Jews because it seems like they are the majority owners of these record labels that are permitting young, predominantly black men to put this music out, All right? But so this music can be degrading to black people, degrading to, to women, right? Very anti-black, which is okay. People are consuming it, it's okay to sell, it's no problem, life goes on, right? You have Kyrie Irving make a post about a movie that happens to be, you know, anti-Semitic um, to Jews, blows up, it's a, it's a huge deal, right? And so I bring this thing up is when something is anti-black, 
you know, things kind of go by, no feathers are ruffled, little to no consequences. But when the Jewish community is attacked, this is from our black lens also, we see swift action. What are you all thoughts on that? Do you all agree? Do you all see that, like, in, in, in life itself when it comes to those two groups? And is it because of the black-white assimilation dynamic? I'm, you you see, like, you're, you're itching. You're well, like you're itching. <laughs> I think people are inclined to see their own oppression more than that of others. Okay. And they're inclined to feel it more acutely. Okay. You know, it's for obvious reasons. Um, and, um, and I get caught in seeing things only from their point of view. So if you take, for example, um, the, let's, let's go back a few, like a few weeks or months before <laughs> right. the Kyrie Irving to the Kanye West yay okay. um, uh, posts. Now, I, I am not a supporter of cancel culture. I'm just simply okay. acknowledging that we are living in a, mo a cultural moment where this is a common thing, where right. people are getting canceled and they're losing jobs and they're, um, for things that they say. Right. Okay, I do not support this. But among the things that the, that, that the American Jewish community noticed was when someone of Kanye West, Ye's wealth mm -hmm. and power and fame mm -hmm. made statements against the Jewish community, it, there was not immediate action. Mm. And it took a concerted effort on the Jewish community's part to push Adidas to, to cancel the contract. Now, Adidas has Nazi origins, right? right? And, um, and the fact that a company with Nazi origins is hemming and hawing about whether to call out anti-Semitism right. from its most prominent spokesman, because they had billions of dollars on the line. Right. You know, and, and given that the trope is Jews have nefarious power, mm -hmm. what's the Jewish community to do? So should they take the abuse mm -hmm. or should they fight back? And right. if they're successful in fighting back, well, for the anti-Semites, will, will that not confirm their belief that the power is right that they have the power. They have the power. So right. it so so it puts so those it, it puts the Jewish community in a really really difficult position. But Jews in that instance were aware of how long it took Adidas right. to do anything, and the and the discourse in the Jewish community was if this was against any other group, if it was against blacks, if it was against women, if it was against the gay community, what have you? They would have been they would have right. shut them down. They would have shut it down immediately. Right. Right. But. Jews, but they were giving a pass because it was Jews, and Jews are perceived to be wealthy, mm -hmm. and they're perceived to be white, even though right. the people shooting the synagogues don't believe so. Right. Right. And therefore, it's okay to tolerate a little bit of anti-Semitism. But for the Jewish community, it's not okay to tolerate a little bit of anti-Semitism. It is intolerable. I also think that Kanye and uh, Ye and and others understand how to get publicity. Okay. You say negative things about white people. The white press isn't going to notice. Right. You say negative things about Jews. Jews are going to take notice right. and they're going to make a protest and they're going to say something. I think this was, uh, I think Minister Farrakhan used this idea brilliantly. Right. He knew he could get himself on the front page of the New York Times anytime he gave some speech railing against the Jews. Right. So I think some of it is attaining your own notoriety mm -hmm. by denigrating somebody else right. or some other group. I, I don't know if that's exactly what you would think Kanye is popular enough. He doesn't right. need to do that. But I think it is a way of garnering publicity right. and of showing that you have a kind of toughness. You're willing to fight the, the power. Right. In this current moment, especially in the like 21st century, right, 
how do we, you know, especially in this time of like racial reckoning, what, what, how do we build, what re social responsibility do we have as a, as a black man and as Jewish man to, to come together and have these conversations, but what actions, what type of workable lists can we put together and do it collectively with both our communities to, 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 to get at racism, anti-Semitism, better understanding um, each other's point of views when it comes to these things. Some people say, hey, nothing happens when, when blacks do it. Uh, or when it's against blacks, it doesn't happen fast enough, you know, when something comes against Jews. Like who, I, as a black person, I'm not thinking about that. Like, I, like it, just, I, it just not, that, like, that blew my mind, right? And so how do we, at this particular moment, where we gonna, as a black person, I'm gonna see you as white. I'm gonna right. assume that you have all of that privilege. Therefore, the resources, the, the social, economic privileges, all goes to you all. How do we build and, and how can I see past that, that social conditioning, right? That's what it is, the indoctrination, right? Of, mm -hmm. of that, um, and as a group, to, to be able to build and understand um, how we build in the 21st century. I don't think it's surprising as two professors that will say education. <laughs> people need to learn. People need to learn about other communities. Right. People need to understand why certain things are the way they are in those communities. Mm -hmm. I learned as much teaching at Fisk as the, as the Fisk did. I hope they learned something from me, but right. I know I learned things from them. Um, but it's that, it's exposure, mm -hmm. it's being open and willing to understand where the other, you don't have to agree with them, but right. you can understand why they're saying what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of, of, of community interaction is really important. Uh, I think empathy mm -hmm. is key, and I think I, I said before about we're in we're in our echo chambers and right. and and our media bubbles. It's really it makes it really difficult to cultivate empathy, and that's yeah. and there's a severe deficit of that in society generally right generally. now. We have to, and that's self work, right? right? I, I think we we have to work on that. But if we're only working on empathy, we, it's it's hard to work on empathy when you're doing it alone, right? Right, and that's why. Communities need to be coming together. I right. think it's really important also to go into each other's spaces, right. mm -hmm. to actually mm -hmm. experience what it is like to mm -hmm. be in black community, in Jewish community. You'll learn things by seeing and being there that, that the dialogue alone, you may understand here, you will right. not understand here. Right. And, I, and yeah. I understood here, like I told you all, I went to my first Shabbat, blew my mind. Didn't know it was gonna be so much food, but also the dialogue and the conversation and it just, it just helped me. And I know it helped the people, other people that was at the Shabbat as well, but like doing that intentionally, right? And being brave to talk about these things right. uh, in a civil space. He mentioned the upcoming uh, social justice Seder. This is a fairly common thing, not just in Nashville, but around the country, these social justice Seders. Because Passover, it seems to me, I've been working on a project about this, Passover, it seems to me, is the perfect opportunity for the two communities to come together. Mm. The Passover story, the book of Exodus, is the central story in African-American history. Right. And it's a Jewish story. Right. So it seems a logical, natural place for these two communities to come together right. and talk about um, moving forward, right. right? Coming from a similar past and moving forward. So these kinds of satyrs, um, are a particularly opportune time to talk about social justice issues, mm -hmm. to talk about liberation and those kinds of things. I think the more um, African Americans are involved, um, the more those communications come across. Now, on the other hand, the Jews have certain responsibilities. Um, I, I teach an essay by Letty uh, Cotton Pogrebin, who was part of a, a, a feminist group, black Jewish group, and they invited, uh, she also uh, was part of a group that was running a Seder, and they invited a black group to come to the Seder. And when it came time for dinner, all the black people said, oh, we're not hungry. We came to dinner before we came to the Seder. They yeah. didn't know that Seder included dinner. Yeah. Well, yeah. somebody in the Jewish community should have told them that yeah. ahead of time. So it works both ways. Yeah. Both groups have to kind of, you know, 
what don't you know? What can I help you? Exactly. How can I explain this to you? Yeah. The Seder is an instance in which Jews would be hosting blacks in a Jewish space, right? Right, and there's power differential between ho when there's a host sure. and a guest, right. which is why it's also important in, to have reciprocity, right? Right, and so what are what are the venues? What are the moments right. when blacks are hosting Jews in black spaces right. as well? Right. So blacks are the hosts and Jews are the guests. Like I'm hosting you right. all. Right. There you go. <laughs> um, as we tell off here, I want to give you all a chance to just hit on anything else that that may be just at the front of your your brain that you want to just leave the viewers home with um, around black and Jewish relations. Um, it's something they can just, you know, leave on their minds and their hearts. I'll start with you, Dr. Okay. Um, there is so much in common that unites the communities, mm -hmm. and, we, and we forget that at our own peril. Mm. One of the things I want to leave with my students is I ask them all the time, when two minority groups fight against each other, who wins? Mm. And they all say the majority. Yeah. So that, I think, is, is <laughs> right. And it's not just blacks and Jews. Yeah, it's all kinds of minority right, groups. Right, exactly. Um, but, but it is in the best interest of the power structure to keep those groups fighting against each other. Right. It's the best interest of those groups to work together right. to fight the power structure. But it's hard. Well, look, I, I want to thank both of you all for coming here and being available to talk about this you know, very current, uh, controversial uh, topic around these two groups, but also necessary, I think, for community here. Um, and hopefully we struck some chords and people to, to, to be invited or do the inviting to each of our communities and talk more about this and, again, do the, do the work, do the action, because we have that history of coalition, allyship, and uh, working to a greater cause. So thank you both. Thank um, you. And thank you all at home for watching another episode of A Slice of Community. See y'all next time.